As sure as fire will burn, as sure as water is wet, there's another side of his nature that we often neglect. As sure as fire will burn, as sure as water is wet, there's another side of his nature that we often neglect. These words are the first line of a Christian rap song called The Other Side. There is another side of God that is true and needed, but is not often talked about. What is this side? What is this side that is often neglected? Turn with me into your Bibles to Joshua chapter 10. We'll be focusing on the first 27 verses of this chapter. As you are doing that, Quick reminder, last week, Alan spoke on and preached on Joshua 9, giving us a vision, first of ourselves, how we are so inclined to being deceived. But he also, he also gave us a vision of God, that he is exceedingly merciful. In tonight's passage, there is another vision of God that has been made mention in the book of Joshua, but is made explicitly clear here in Joshua 10. That vision of God that is put before you and before me is that God is a divine warrior. God is a divine warrior who fights, battles, restrains, and conquers his enemies and all his people's enemies. We need this vision. We must have this vision of God in light of the Christian struggle. We need this as much as the air we are breathing tonight. We need this vision because of our fight with sin. As we speak, we are in a in-between. We're experiencing the already of Christ's victory and the not yet of Christ's victory. Now, although none of us are fighting kings of Amorites or AI, we are in the middle of a spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6 makes it abundantly clear. We are not fighting flesh and blood, but there is a spiritual battle that is taking place as we speak and as God's people, we are a part of that battle. The evil one is not completely subdued. We see this in 1 Peter. Prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Therefore, between Christ's resurrection and his second coming, as his people, we are engaged in a spiritual war. And many of us have feel, felt the effects of this. Whether you are aware that you are in a spiritual battle, you have felt the effects of it. You have felt frustrated by the sin that you see in the world. You have felt saddened by the brokenness that's in your own heart. You're fearful of what's to come, tired, embattled, disheartened. You have felt the emotions of being in a battle. And if you have felt that, if you haven't felt it, you will. This passage speaks directly to our need and to the reality that we need a divine warrior. 
So let's read Joshua 10, 1 through 27. But before we do, let's ask King Jesus for some help. Holy Spirit, we need you. Without you, we're, we're blind. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word tonight and transform us into the likeness of your son. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Joshua 10, 1 through 27. Now, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king what he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and were living near them. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was, a, it was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Jephiah, king of Lachish, and Deber, king of Eglon. Come up, come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because... It has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeons then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly save us help us because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us so Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army including all the best fighting men the Lord said to Joshua do not be afraid of them I have given them into your hand not one of them will be able to withstand you after an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, who defeated them in great victory at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makeda. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled, hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky, and more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon. O moon, over the valley of Aijalon. So the sun stood still, the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. As it is written in the book of Jashar, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. 
Now the five kings had fled and hidden in the cave at Makeda. When Joshua had told the five kings had been found hiding in the cave at Makeda, he said, roll large rocks up, in the, up to the mouth of the cave. Post some men there to guard it. But don't stop. Pursue your enemies. Attack them from the rear and don't let them reach their cities. For the Lord your God has given them into your hand. So Joshua and the Israelites destroyed them completely, almost to a man. But the few who were left reached their fortified cities. The whole army then returned safely to Joshua in the camp at Makeda. And no one uttered a word against the Israelites. Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me. So they brought the five kings out of the cave, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon. When they had brought these kings to Joshua, he summoned all the men of Israel and said to the army commanders who had come with him, come here, put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came forward placed their feet on their necks. Joshua said to them, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you are going to fight. Then Joshua struck and killed the kings, hung them on five trees, and they were left hanging on the trees until evening. At sunset, Joshua gave the order, and they took them down from the trees and threw them into the cave where they had been hiding. At the mouth of the cave, they placed large rocks, which are there to this day. This account in the life of Israel is supposed to create all types of emotions as we're reading this. There is so much going on in these 27 verses. And the beauty of the account is in the midst of this war, we are giving a divine perspective of what's going down. We have God's perspective. And what we see here is that this divine perspective is communicating something to us. It's a message to all of us, to all of God's people. What is that message? And here it is. God is a divine warrior who fights for his people. What does that matter to you? Because God is a divine warrior who fights for his people, in the spiritual battles that you face, you will experience victory. You will win. Not because of you, but because of a divine warrior who fights for you. This is not modern-day triumphalism. This isn't some unfounded optimism, some self-help. This is a concept that the author of Joshua is putting before his original audience and is now laying before us today. God is a divine warrior who fights for his people. Sin will not have the last laugh in the life of God's people. We are aware that sin brings shame. We are aware that sin hurts and it's cruel. It debases humanity. We are aware that sin hung Christ on the cross. Yet sin will not have the last laugh. We have a divine warrior who fights for us. This concept, this truth, 
has a, it's supposed to be a source of encouragement for God's people. It's supposed to move us to live a certain way. And I believe the text gives us four ways that we are to be moved, the way we are to be encouraged by this truth. The first one is knowing that God fights for his people, we should be encouraged to enter into a real relationship with Yahweh. Second, we should be encouraged. We should be encouraged that he is fighting for us. He's not simply on the sidelines. He is actually in the battle fighting for us. Third, we should be encouraged to pursue the power of prayer. And lastly, and lastly, brothers and sisters, we should be encouraged to move forward in life courageously. Let's jump right in. God fights for his people. Therefore, we should be encouraged to enter into a relationship with him. All of us as God's creatures are made to be known by people and to know people. We are relational creatures. And at the core of that, we are to know and be known by God. But there is more reason to be in a relationship with him. The Shorter Catechism, when talking about uh, Christ as king, it says he defends and conquers all of his and our enemies. We need to be in relationship because we need someone who can defend us. We need someone who can fight for us. We need that. We see this in the first seven verses of this chapter. What the author does here, there's this juxtaposition between the king of Jerusalem and the Gibeonites. They both heard all through the grapevine, all that's going down. Israel was a big deal. People have been hearing what Israel was doing. They were running through cities. And we know from chapter 9 that the Gibeonites heard, and when they heard that, that moved them to be deceptive, but through their deception, they entered into covenant with Israel. King of Jerusalem, if you look at the first couple, chat, uh, first couple verses, you see he hears about it. And what he does, instead of bowing down, waving the white flag, he says, no, I am fearful, but I'm going to strategize. I'm going to figure out how can I gather some resources to put a stop to this. And his strategy was to go after the Gibeonites. So what he does, he calls four of his king, four of the Amorite kings. He says, come on, let's, let's form a coalition. Let's form an alliance. Let's take them down. And they do that. And when they attack Gibeon, Gibeon looks down. I could imagine a, a, a group of five kings coming at you. What does the text say they say? It says this, do not abandon your servants. They call out to Israel. They are uh, calling into, not question, but they're saying, I'm in covenant with you. There are some stipulations. Hold to this. Help us out. Come quickly. Save us. They call out to Israel. But in their calling out to Israel, they call out Yahweh. 
When Joshua steps on the scene, so does Yahweh. When the Gibeonites entered into covenant relationship with Israel, their relationship with God changed from enemy to ally, from enemy to friend. And now, as we continue the story, you'll see the king of Jerusalem has four Amorite kings who have his back. The Gibeonites have Israel, and more importantly, Yahweh. I'm not the, the smartest person, the sharpest tool in the drawer, but we know who's going to win that battle. We know who's going to win that battle. And look at this. This, has, this is very important for you and for me. This is, we all have a relationship to God. We are either friend or enemy. Look what James says in James 4. You adulterous people, do you not know? Do you not know? That friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend to the world becomes an enemy of God. There is no neutrality when it comes to relationship with God. You are either for him or against him. That wasn't for thousands of years ago for the Gibeonites. That is for us in this room. There are two people, friends or enemies. And what this text is calling us and beckoning us to do is to say, wave the white flag, surrender to God. We see the responses that people have had. We've seen uh, the Gibeonites. We've seen the king of Jerusalem. But one thing you have to know about God, family, is that God is always looking to make those who are not his people, his people. He is always looking to turn enemies into allies. He longs for that. And the question we have to ask is, how do we have this relationship change? And it's one way, by faith. We see it, we saw it in Rahab. Faith changes the relationship. We saw that in the Gibeonites. Faith changed relationship. And the same is true for us today. Faith in the resurrected Savior. Faith in Christ Jesus, faith in the Son of God. That is who, by means, we enter into a loving relationship with King Jesus. So my question tonight for you is that in light of knowing that God fights for his people, and there are two people, allies or enemies, you have to ask yourself the question, where is my relationship with the divine warrior? You have to ask yourself that question. And my, my desire and my call is, if you are a friend, praise be to God. And if you are an enemy, he longs that you would surrender and enter into relationship with him. Now, the second point. God, so God fights for his people, so we need to enter into a relationship with him. But he fights for his people so we should be, as his people, encouraged to know that he is fighting in the midst of our battles. Like, I want to argue up here, I want to argue that you that are not alone in your spiritual body, your spiritual battle. God is not simply on the sidelines. He is not simply crafting a game plan and leaving you to, to figure it out. 
He is actually in the midst of what is going on in your life and fighting for you. Take, for instance, a commander. If a commander is coming up with a game plan, he has this plan and promises victory, and then he said, now, by the way, I'm not going out. You guys, do your thing. I'm going to stay in here and make sure I am A-OK. What level of encouragement might one have? But how much would it change if that very same commander drew the plan promises victory. But he says, and the reason this victory will come through is because I'm going to be side by side with you in all that is going on. God is the latter. He is in the midst. And we see this in the text. In Joshua 6 and Joshua 8, we have two battles that are taking place. Battle of Jericho, battle of Ai. In both of this, we are fully aware that God himself is the one who won the battle. There's no question. There's no question that the Israelites simply took what God had already given them. But what's different about chapter 10 is the level of description that that the author goes to make sure you know that God is doing his thing in the midst of the battle. Look at this. Look at verses 8 through 11 and then verses 14. Listen to all these words, these verbs. We can start in verse 8. The Lord reminds Joshua. He reminds them, hey, we're going to win this thing. But then 10 through 11, there are five verbs used. Confused, depending on your translation, confused, struck, pursued, struck again, and throw. Throwing those hailstones. In some translations... Some of those verbs are ascribed to Yahweh and some to Israelites. But here is the beauty of the Hebrew. All those verbs are singular masculine, meaning every one of those verbs are being ascribed to God. God was the one who was striking the enemies. God was the one who put them in confusion. God was the one who pursued them and chased them. God was the one who was throwing hailstones at his enemies and the enemies of his people. God was fighting and God alone. Even in verse 11, we see more evidence that God is in the midst of your spiritual battles. It says this, more of them, more enemies died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. In case you missed it, he says, check, more died there. And then lastly, in verse 14, surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Brothers and sisters, in the midst of the spiritual battles you are in, the ones you will face, God, the divine warrior, is not apart from you, but he is in the battle with you. He is in the trenches with you. So for those who are married, who might be hitting a rough patch, God is not so far away. God is in the trenches with you, fighting with you. High schoolers, I remember I was not a Christian when I was in high school, but one thing I know that still exists, peer pressure is real. Peer pressure is real. And not just peer pressure, just even the, the, the desires of one's own heart. And do you feel like you're fighting this on your own? 
I'm here to tell you, you need to know that God, the divine warrior, is in the trenches. He is in the hallways of your schools with you, helping you fight. Christian, what are you struggling with? Do you feel like you are by yourself? And I am here to tell you on the power of God's word that you are not alone and that God himself is with you in your fight. And I pray that that would be a source of encouragement with you, to you. So we just see two reasons to be encouraged, but now we have another reason to be encouraged because we should be encouraged to pursue prayer, the power of prayer. Now, in the midst of spiritual battles, it's easy to talk, and I'm going to even say it's easy to complain, it's easy to gossip, it's easy to talk about everything this direction and to fail to talk in this direction. And what this text pushes us and encourages us to do is to pursue the power of prayer. Look at this. Look in verse 13 and 14. This text is often cited, this whole section is usually titled, The Sun Stands Still. But there's a huge point that we often overlook. At the end of verse 13, it says, The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since. Are we talking about the sun and the moon stopping? Arthur, what are you talking about? And he says this. No, no, no. A day when the Lord listened to a human being. The sun stood still by the power of God, but God was moved by Joshua's prayers. Joshua said in verse 12 to the Lord in the presence of Israel, sun stand still. Joshua prayed that the sun would stop so that they could finish routing out those Amorites. And God, the divine warrior, since he's like, you're on my team, I will pause this thing and give you some more time. God heard Joshua's prayer. As audacious as it is to you and to me, he listened. What insurmountable issues, brothers and sisters, are you dealing with? What in your heart of hearts, when you think about it, you're like, there is no way I'm going to witness this being resolved this side of heaven. We know all issues aren't like that, but there are some issues that are like, when I think about this, this is, I'm going to have to wait till heaven. What are those issues for you? And as um, your brother and as a part of this body, I want to share, even as I'm wrestling with this, there were two issues. One is revival in America, and two is racial healing in our city, in America, in the church. Those are two issues that sometimes I get overwhelmed. And what I have found in my own heart, there's a tendency to talk this way and to fail to talk this way. And what I want to call you to is to whatever you may have, whatever those issues may be, Write them down and commit to, yes, you can continue. This is why God has given us a body, to talk about it, but to commit to uh, use the power of prayer to see what God really just might do. And if you don't have anything, join me. Join me over the next several weeks of praying for revival in America and the, the healing of the racial brokenness in our church, in, our, in the city, in in our country.
join me if you have nothing. So, friend, please pursue the power of prayer. And lastly, lastly, we should be encouraged to move forward in this life to live courageously. Now, there's a harsh reality for American Christians. American Christians, over the last 200 years, it is a, an historical anomaly when you look at the entirety of the church life. Church life is marked by marginalization. It's marked by being persecuted. It's marked by being pushed to the side. That's normal, everyday Christian living for the church. In America, God has been overly, overly gracious to us as we have no fears sitting on the front porches of our house talking about Christ. We have no fears. But as many of us are sensing and recognizing there is a subtle shift in America, subtle shift, the advantages are slowly waning for being a Christian. Opposition is steadily increasing. This veneer of the Christian society is being exposed. And the question I want to ask you all, you're just aware as I am, how are you going to respond? Are you going to move forward in fear and trepidation, fear and anxiety? We are aware of what's going on, racial issues that are on the front forefront ripping churches apart, this new sexual ethic that is changing the landscape for our children, the understanding of right and wrong, which used to be so clear, is becoming murky. And the question is, how are you going to handle this as a Christian? It's not just outside the church, it's even inside. How are you going to handle this? Are you going to move forward with fear, trepidation, anxiety? This text tells us, this text tells us to move forward courageously. Look at verses 24 through 25. Before we get there, we see that the Amorite kings, they realize they're losing. They run into a cave thinking it's a secure place, and it in the, the, in the span of one verse, it becomes a prison. And they're sitting there waiting, just sitting there waiting, thinking they're hiding until all of their support, all their allies have been taken out. They roll the stone away, and Joshua calls them out. And all five of them are lined up. And what Joshua does in 24, he says, Come here talking to the men of Israel and the army commander. Come here, put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came forward, placed their feet on their necks. Joshua said to them, visible sign, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong. Be courageous. This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you are going to fight. He was trying to make it clear to his commanders that Moving forward, no matter the opposition, this should be a visible sign to you that we are going to win this. No matter how stacked the opposition is. But church family, we have even more reason to be encouraged, even more reason to walk forward courageously. You know why? This language, this, this picture of stepping on someone's neck, the king's neck, is not new to Scripture. It's not new in the book of Joshua. It has already been mentioned. Travel back with me to Genesis 
It says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Foot on neck. And it gets seen more clearly in Colossians 2. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And it will be fully realized, 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, all authority, all power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies, talking about Christ, all his enemies under his feet. And just a little sauce on the top, Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. When Jesus got up from the grave, he defeated death. When he got up from the grave, he let everyone know, I am going to win. And those who are in me will win as well. And he had made a visible sign to all people at the cross You can move forward courageously because of the cross. You can move forward courageously because I have won. And your victory is not your victory. Your victory is my victory given to you freely because you are my people and I am the divine warrior. So I'm not sure where life is going to take us as the church. I'm not sure the indwelling sin that is in your heart. I'm not sure what's going to happen to it. I'm not sure what's going to happen in America. I'm not sure about a lot of things, but one thing I know is that we have a divine warrior who fights for us. And because of that, listen, church family, don't miss this. Because of that, you can walk forward through life, no matter what circumstances, courageously, Boldly, trusting, knowing that God will give us the victory, not because of us, because he has promised, I will step on the foot of Satan and I will win. And in that encouragement, I pray that would hold us down as we move forward. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace towards us. Thank you that you are so good to your people. Thank you that you are a divine warrior. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.